Trade at Houseology is the supplier of choice for professionals seeking designer furniture, lighting and accessories. Saving you time spent on sourcing, admin and logistics so you can focus on creating beautiful interiors. Welcome to the Interior Design Business. We are the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward, and with my co-presenter, Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors and past president of the British Institute of Interior Design, we examine the challenges faced by professional interior designers and share insights on how to deal with them. We're joined every month by a special guest who can share their advice and expertise with you. Today, we're looking at design for the third age. The term third age was first coined by British historian Peter Lazlett in 1987. His theory on positive aging stated that life consists of four ages, with the third age being that period immediately after retirement, which is generally characterized by continuing health, vigor, ongoing personal achievement, and a positive attitude to life. Historically, researchers had conducted their studies on aging from a negative standpoint, focusing on the decline of mental and physical function. But researchers today are more inclined to focus on the benefits of physical activity, social interaction and learning for people in their third age. The truth is that we all want to keep living independent lives in our third age for as long as we can. So, how should designers approach the design of interior spaces, both public and private, that will allow people to enjoy every aspect of their lives to the full for the longest possible time? Welcome to the Interior Design Business. We're recording today from the Hitch Melia showroom in the heart of Clerkenwell and joined by Laurie pinkerton Raleigh of Park Grove Design, a past president of the British Institute of Interior Design and a passionate advocate of the design opportunities presented by the Third Age. Laurie, it's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, before we begin, can you tell us about Park Grove's design experience in this space? Yes, it, it started with my own uh, personal journey uh, many years ago when my children were babies and I'd take them to visit my grandmother in what, what was then a care home. And I noticed that when we first walked in, the place would feel one way. By the time we left, it would feel a different way because of this interaction of different ages of people, i.e. the children coming into the space and interacting with both the staff and the uh, residents. And I thought, you know, there's something here. The children never wanted to go into the space with the older people because it wasn't set up for them. It was only set up basically for medical care. And I think this goes back to what Susie was saying in the intro about just because somebody is getting older doesn't mean that they don't have these other needs. So I did a lot of research. Um, the company Park Grove, uh, we specialized in hotels and high-end residential for a long time, but then took a decision to really plow into this field full-time, and it's basically um, involved a lot of research. I have a qualification also from the U.S. called a Certified Aging in Place Specialist, uh, CAPS. Um, I've reached a CAPS 2 level. Um, I do independent research for Axo Nobel, who owns Dulux in terms of color mm -hmm. for um, older, older people and have uh, produced reports for them. Um, I uh, work with the Construction Industry Council in the United Kingdom advising government on policy that has to do with 
the built environment and specifically inclusive um, design. There's a TED talk out there called uh, uh, Color for the Seven Ages of Man. And um, I'm delighted to be here today at Hitchmilius um, specifically because this is one of the contemporary uh, furniture companies, which is sort of in the forefront of of further developing um, what I call inclusive design furniture, which is furniture that anybody would be happy to have in their home, regardless of their age, but which is specifically designed for the needs of older people, um, but anyone would enjoy sitting on them. And they, they have this Edith chair, which happens to be bringing this full circle, the name of my grandmother that started oh, my whole passion. <laughs> so it was easy to remember the name of the chair, but it's contemporary and it, it's, it's quite lovely. I think now everybody else will remember the name of the chair yeah. too. <laughs> so what options do people have once they've taken a decision to downsize? The, the main question, it's where am I going to fit that will still feel like my home where I can have my own things? Um, but with less responsibility in terms of perhaps maintenance or gardening or uh, other aspects of and life. And I wonder too with the things like the scale of the pieces, if they've come from a great big house and they've got big bits of furniture and they're moving into a fewer number of smaller rooms, yes, that's going to be an issue too. It is definitely going, it is definitely going to be an issue. So this is something when designing um, uh, properties either for retirement uh, groups that we work with um, or even for care home providers that we work with or independent people looking to downsize. This is always the biggest issue is actually storage. Sometimes we're finding surprisingly people are happy to have a fresh start on the furniture by the time they hit the third age. They're looking for a positive new life and lifestyle yes. and having less stuff is, is actually a benefit. And sometimes a completely different style of stuff. If they've had antiques all their lives, they might just want to go completely contemporary, funk it up, get out there, start fresh. Yes, and have a whole new and have a whole new aspect. But these storage elements, again, sort of photo albums and this sort of thing, um, are things that you're, you're never going to want to give away um, because they're going back at this point in time to the day when there were photo albums and it wasn't all online. So I suspect over time that need might change. Um, but currently, we do nef definitely need to design for that. Mainly to answer your question, Jeff, it has to do with lifestyle. Um, that there is the main thing that they're taking into consideration. Do they need to be near the local cricket ground? Do they of need course. a swimming pool? Uh, they are active. They tend to be active people, third agers, as, yeah. as you were yeah. saying earlier. And so um, in, even in other countries, and Australia is really in, in front of this, it te they tend to gather around um, shared interests in terms of picking communities where they wish to live. And America also. America Flor as well. Florida is covered with them. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> and for people in living independently, does that mean they're more attuned to open plan living? I mean, does the space or their usage of space change? Very much so, where there are actually standards. Um, uh, this, well, yeah, there, there are standards which um, assist with that, which were established in this country in about 2008, um, and in the United States well before that, actually, which leads back to that CAPS-2 qualification I was talking about earlier. 
in terms of what people need. So for the CAPS two qualification, what do you what do you actually study? What does that entail? Um, it's only given in the states, and it's given by the Association of House Builders in the states. Um, and it's uh, learning about uh, basically the, the American standards for how much space you need in a bathroom for people that are getting older, how much space you need through a corridor, what those individual re requirements are. So that's very much the same standards that are being established by the lifetime homes? Very, yeah. very much so. It's a very similar standard, only there's a, an actual qualification um, uh, diploma at the end, you take it's a it's a week long um, residential course, and at the end, you're given an exam, and you pass or you don't pass. And um, is there any equivalent qualification in the UK? The closest thing is the lifetime home standards in the United Kingdom, but at, as yet, it There's is no not a qualification. I couldn't go and get a certificate in lifetime homes. No, you'd homes, need for to example. you'd need to study it. Yeah, you just need to study it independently. And in the US, I've seen they've got entire communities where they're people living together and it, it, it's almost like a, a village yes. on its own which in the UK is not quite at that scale. It's it, There aren't as many of them but they do exist so um, for example there's a, a, a group and I'm, I'm just going to randomly mention mention groups there's no sort of seniority or recommendation here necessarily but there's a group called Retirement Villages and that's that's exactly what they do they have a clubhouse that has all sorts of interactive things that happen there and a, a spa, sometimes swimming pools, um, uh, a bar, um, libraries, medical facilities in a central hub and then everyone has their own property on the grounds. Do you think it's because in the UK we don't have so much land available to us? In, in America and Australia, for example, they can be profligate with space. So you get communities that are centred around, for example, an 18-hole golf course with a country club attached. Uh, or, you know, it might be a, a tennis centre or a, a series of swimming pools or it could even be a horse riding centre, all sorts of different things like that. Well, this is a very interesting point, and I think as a starting point, the American-Australian model was picked up by a few companies that were very forward-looking. So Retirement Villages is one, Audley Retirement is another one, um, and what they do is they take what we have in England and transpose it into that model. And what we have are all these old country houses mm -hmm. with acres of land and these grand buildings on them. So and often stable blocks and all sorts of things. Correct. Yep. So the, 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 the hub, the community hub, becomes the original house. And then all the acres and acres of land are what they are building the, the private dwellings, dwellings on. on. And sometimes even within these houses, there are apartments in the main block because they're so big. There's no reason not to. And so this allows for people that don't want to walk so far or might be starting down that path of um, wanting things to be closer um, to to buy those apartments and other people maybe to have bungalows or even two-story houses elsewhere on the property. So these models are being developed in the United Kingdom and they're being, more importantly to me, they're being developed in different socioeconomic um, uh, strata. Yes, exactly, strata. So yeah. it's, it's not just for the very rich that can afford the £10,000 a year service charges that some of these places bring with them. Correct. For the maintenance and the upkeep of all these wonderful facilities. Correct. 
And so that model is now starting to filter down into into different um, strata. As Something you say. else that just occurred to me: too, Do you think well, this is a bit controversial? Do you think that third ages in the UK perhaps are not as fit as their counterparts, uh, or perhaps not fit might be the wrong word, not as physically active as their counterparts in America and Australia? That is not what I have found. That's um, really interesting. And uh, so Australia, it's not, about supply, it's not supply and no. demand. It's just that we are a little bit behind. We're on the back foot in terms of providing this, these environments. I think we are because the knee-jerk reaction originally to having, let's say, a physical limitation starting, for example, was well, at some point you'll need to go into a home, and the model of a home. Uh, a, a nursing home or care home type facility or even assisted living was based on a hospital model. Yes, absolutely. And that was our starting point. Whereas um, I can't speak to Australia, but certainly the United States, the model was a more community based model. And I think we are finally catching up in that respect. Yes. Yeah. No, and I know I know people people don't like the idea of things that look and feel like hospitals. No. Um, we did a we did a development years ago down in Bournemouth and we wanted very much to um, introduce the again the life the lifetime homes initiative into this development. Yes. And the client ran a million miles because he said the people I'm selling to, if you even have the sniff of that it's something that may have been designed for an older person, they will run miles, despite the fact that that was exactly his target market. The, th the thing is, there's no, that's what inclusive design is. And if you think about it, and this, when I, I did this little TEDx talk, that's basically what's, what it's about. The needs of human beings are circular. So we, we sort of end up um, in the in the very long run, without the teeth, without the hair, with you know not necessarily being able to do everything ourselves as a child, but are we age in a linear fashion? We and and even though you've never met anyone in your whole life who doesn't age, we build homes and properties and communities as if people don't age. Well, that's just irresponsible. It's, ridiculous. it's a waste of resources it's a waste of time it's forcing people to have to move just because they're older or just because they don't want to have to look over, look after this big house anymore whereas it is possible um, within these guidelines of lifetime homes for example to build properties going forward or communities going forward where that isn't necessary because people can continue to adapt as their needs change and they you can even have let's say you have a two-story uh, this is an example you have a two-story family home and you're you have your family's growing and you're living on both floors you get older you might want to live on the ground floor if that has been planned for and you might want to rent out to the new young couple upstairs and have an income because part of this issue is financial as well. How are you going to sustain yourself in your older years if you're not necessarily working or let's say you don't have a brilliant pension? Well, if you are able to rent out the upstairs, um, you can stay in your home. You never have to move. Mm. But we never consider this when we're, we, 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 we buy, we move, we buy, we move, um, we pay stamp duty, you know, every time that we're doing this. And we lose some of our own community contacts in doing this as well, which is another loss, yes. I think, yeah. both to the community and to the people that are moving. Yes, yeah, because if you suddenly move from the neighborhood you've, in, you've been in for the last 30 years while your family were growing up and you 
you don't run into those people, no. bump into people on the corner or bump into people in the park or, you know, say hello to the postman or whatever it might be. And so, again, you have the onset of loneliness at that point. Almost Correct. becomes inevitable. Yep. And we hand, end up with fractured communities. So tell me about lifetime homes. We've talked about it a little bit. What is it and what's the purpose of it? It's a, it's a series of standards uh, that was, I think Laurie was right, I think it was 2008 it was first developed and they have revised it a couple of times since. But it just covers all those things that we've touched on briefly about the things you could, should consider when you're designing buildings both public and private, but it, it covers everything, things like um, how big is a car parking space, you know, can you open the doors and get out easily if you're less mobile, um, how wide is the, you know, there's no hill on the way up to the front door so that people can get up without any difficulty if they're in a wheelchair, for example, that access is a level, that uh, corridors are wide enough so that you can turn in a wheelchair, so that bathrooms, even if they might have a, a bath in them now, if you need to adapt it later, you can do that because you've put enough structure in the walls, plywood and things like that, so that you can put grab rails on and the walls don't fall off. Without having to rebuild everything. Without having everything. to rebuild everything. So you're cost, just, yeah. you're just doing, uh, you're, you're putting extra reinforcement into um, the ceiling in the bathroom so that somebody could be hoisted out of a bath if need be. All those sorts of things. And so you never have to go back and change anything because you've thought about it right from the off. And therefore people, and, and depending on what goes, because nobody knows what's going to go wrong with them as they get older, but irrespective of what happens, you're, you're there, you're prepared for it. But if you think of it, if you were buying, let's say you were buying, you started out in an apartment and you were looking to buy your big family home. If you bought a family home that you need, know meets this criteria, not only does it give you peace of mind, but let's say for whatever reason you needed to move to Australia or New Zealand, it opens, if you think about it financially, it opens up the market of who you might sell to going forward. Absolutely. Is Lifetime Homes a an obligation or is it just a nice to have? It's just a nice to have. It's basically its best practice. Okay, okay. But if designers are aware of it, they can definitely improve their design thinking work yes. on this Yes, I mean, I think, I think depending on the project you're working on, even if you can't accommodate all of those criteria, you could still make considerable improvements in everything that you were doing just by taking them into consideration. And if you think about it, be, what I was saying earlier about the needs being circular in society, it's the same thing. If you have young children, let's say you have two small kids, I need the wider car park space because I got to put them in a buggy. So it's not, it, it makes sense for all of society, not necessarily just for third agers to take these things into account. It also facilitates people that, that might have various sorts of disabilities mm. who can be any age. And, and that is, is all in terms of whether it's hoists, whether it's color contrast, whether it's extra width next to the loo. Um, all of those things can be accommodated with, with these guidelines pretty much. Do you think third agers know what they should be looking for when they talk to you about requirements? I don't think they know what's available. And this goes back to what Susie was saying earlier, you know, why people don't want to touch things that look like a hospital. There are all sorts of things like, like this Hitchmilius chair, which you would put any place. There are grab rails, for example, that look like really smart towel rails, which I would have no problems. And in fact, I will, when I redo my bathroom, be putting them in my bathroom because they're dead smart looking, not because they can completely take my body weight should I need them to. And there are all sorts of things out there on the market that are just 
we're just picking up that I mean I think if you think need. about this this generation that are coming up to retirement you they have come from a period in history where you know people have traveled they've been all over the world they've a lot of them have stayed in really smart hotels and the last thing and they've got beautiful homes of their own the last thing they want to do is go into somewhere that just looks like an absolute dog's dinner just because they're getting older I mean, at the very point where you're putting up your feet and enjoying life, yeah. why would you subject yourself to a hideous environment? It's disrespectful. No exactly. It's disrespectful for the entire life of that person to think, you know, I got one more move in me. This is the move. And I've let myself down. It, these places can be highly inspirational. Mm. These places can be places that you've dreamt about living in your whole life and now you get to. And that's really that's really the mindset that we have when designing them. And I think, Peter, going back to Peter Lazar, where the conversation started, one of the things that he says is that, is that people, these third ages, are still achieving. They are still ticking things off their bucket list. They're still out there climbing mountains. They're doing all the things that they haven't had a chance to do in their working lives because they've been busy raising children and paying taxes and getting up and going to work every day. And so, you know, part of that is, is where they're going to live. Yeah. And it, you they're still aspirational. You may want to go to the bistro of an evening. You may want to have guests staying over and not have a three or four bedroom house because your kids come to visit two or three times a year. So moving into one of these retirement communities, they have guest facilities. You book them out. My kids are coming. I've already got guest rooms for them. I don't feel like cooking that night. We'll go to the bistro. I feel like entertaining or having a party and I haven't purchased a property with an enormous dining room. I'll use the private dining facilities, thank you very much, without having made that as a major investment or hanging on to a house that needs to be cleaned that's much bigger than my needs because I am jetting off all and the I time. And I suppose, too, it's a little bit like the co-living spaces that we're seeing developing now in the private rental sector spaces where some of the facilities that come with those like screening rooms and swimming yeah. pools and stuff but also party spaces so that there might be a, you know if you want to have a drinks party but your living room is little and actually you don't want to spend the next day cleaning up washing up the glasses you can just hire it and someone else will cater Absolutely. for you. It's part of the aspirational lifestyle it's not a step down it's a step, step up. up. And you as a company Park Grove have yes. uh, decided to focus specifically on this part of your business. Yes. Um, do you think that's an option for designers in other parts of the country to do? I really think it's necessary. Um, I think uh, that, as uh, again, as a as a sort of global community, um, we need to design a full life cycle for people. And so it is very much something that we've been doing for um, a number of years now. So it used to be that, say, hotels were 80% of our, our market share, um, or, or what we were doing in terms of income, I should say. And now it's sort of 85% is uh, care, retirement, and even dementia units, which are slightly separate from what we're talking about. Um, and. Uh, so it really is a focus because the research that we engage with in order to do this work extends past the lifetime homes into all sorts of areas of research which frustratingly tend to sit in academic circles as published papers in libraries at, at various universities around the world. And, and so we've sort of made it a mission to pull that out and start to share that information with other designers and other people. So what other, what other things might be different? 
chair heights um, are different. Um, it makes it easier to get in and out if you have arms. It makes it easier to get in and out if the arms are slightly set back from the front because you, otherwise you have to inch your bottom forward in order to get the purchase to push down. And what tends to happen when people want to stand up is they want to curl their arms around the arms, literally push down from their shoulders and stand up. Makes that terribly easy. Color contrasts are very important as we get older. Um, when somebody is in their 70s, the light hitting the back of their eye is 20% of what it was when they were in their 20s. Whoa. Because even though we can't see it by looking at a person, as you age, your lens actually yellows. So having light systems which can adjust light levels um, will be benefit for actually all ages. So if you've got a child you're putting down and you can you can dim the lights, that's great. If you have older people visiting or you're getting older, you can raise the light levels. Yeah. And, and so something like that's very helpful. Diffusers on lights are great for everybody. And this, I know, goes against the current trend of light bulbs with visible filaments. Um, but if you have macular degeneration as you're getting older, you will see lots of glare. It'll blind you basically to look into lights which do not have diffusers on them. Um, manual dexterity issues are important. So when you're picking out your wardrobes, are you picking out the ones with the little knobs? Are you picking out the ones that have the nice big handles that you can just grab well, and hold on to? Same is true of things like flush buttons. You want a flush button on a toilet that you can actually press with the flat of your hand. Correct. So levers are a disaster. Taps that you have to fiddle with to turn on. Again, levers are wonderful because, you know, if necessary, you could do it with an elbow. Door handles. Handles are easier than doorknobs. Yeah. You have a choice. They're, they can both be absolutely beautiful, but if you were doing something for an extended lifetime, you would you would use a handle. And, I mean, we you mentioned contrast between things as well in terms of contrasting colours, but that's also true of anybody that has any visual impairment. I mean, in all commercial spaces now, we have to have a certain number of points of visible difference between right. the wall colour and the floor colour, and also then the ceiling colour, because it's important for people to be able to walk into a space and actually judge the volume of that space. Yes, we, there's a, a meter um, that tells you where you can actually test. It's an LRV meter um, that, uh, that tests. And, but also some of the paint companies, I think this is an important thing to know, those last three numbers, tend to be the LRV reading and some of the supply chain now. Um, well, I was going to say yeah. tiles, for example, tile manufacturers are giving you, as well as giving you slip resistance ratings, they're also giving you the color rating. And a 30 difference is, is, is really optimum. The majority of disabilities um, are not wheelchairs, it is visual. And so this is, again, taking this outside of just even the third age into just general design principles as being, you know, you're putting a, a, a there's a pillar in your, in your space, differentiate that. Painted a different color. Yeah. And it seems to me that clients are very receptive to that kind of design intelligence from the interior designer that you can come to them and say, we know how to solve particular issues. Yes. Uh, we've got experience working in them, we've done our research, we know what to do. Which is why it is a good area for designers uh, to look into further. It can help with your overall um, uh, design acumen, but also there's a, there's a growing market. Percep perception of professionalism. And also gloss. The amount of, of gloss on something can feed back into glare for people with, with visual um, issues. So we were quite delighted as a practice when some of the matte tiles started coming through. They're still very small ranges, 
but um, uh, at least they exist because the, the glossy tiles have been a challenge for a long time. But quite a bit of research that you need to do to bring yourself up to speed and presumably to, to be able to empathise with what your potential client might want. Yes, that is, that is very much true. Um, we're uh, uh, launching a podcast in January um, called Third Age Design. Um, it's the, uh, the website will be thirdage.design. Um, if anybody's interested, that will be f that will be feeding out this information on a regular basis. I mentioned earlier that a lot of the information sits in academic circles, and the purpose is to be able to disseminate that information to designers, specifically so that they can use it in their day-to-day -day practice, or if they wish to get into this particular growing sector. And, yep. and globally. Presumably different cultures deal with it in different ways and have different design solutions that could be useful. Totally different. Australia, key. United States, key. The Netherlands, key. Um, Japan is very interesting mm. as well, which I, I did a sabbatical there last year and um, visited uh, many care homes while I was there just to see what they're doing. They, they are known for having an aging population and the way that they manage that and the finances of it are very interesting because you cannot separate the housing needs from what somebody's income and income stream is. So at the beginning, Jeff, you were talking about, you know, what are people looking for? They're also looking for an economic model for themselves in their later years that will be sustainable. Yeah. Exactly. That's the key. That's the key word. I mean, I know one of the things that people, pension providers say that they can generally keep people going more or less until they get to the, into the late 70s and then it becomes very difficult. So if you've got another 10 years of active life ahead of you, you don't want to suddenly stop just because you've run out of money. Correct. Yeah. And so that's a, that, that component has to be part of the model. And again, we talked earlier about the product choice that you have being a, a little limited, getting broader, but the challenge of actually sourcing the right fixtures, the right fittings, for projects. How do you go about doing that? Um, we have actually sort of cross-referenced our hotel suppliers and made some of them into design, <laughs> design uh, suppliers for, for this group. Um, uh, a lot of, I don't want to use waterproof fabrics in my home. I don't want to use waterproof looking fabrics in retirement villages. I also do not want to use them in hotels. However, they need them because people will spill drinks. They'll spill glasses of wine. They'll, whatever those needs are, they're not, um, uh, they Exclusively are- Exclusively the behest of correct, the third ages. Correct. Yeah. So we've, we've sort of crossed some of those hotel suppliers in with the care things. We've asked people to raise seat heights to 450 uh, to 480 and, and custom designed um, uh, those sorts of things so that it's, it's easier. There are, there are a lot of things you can do with the supply chain. The most challenging, I have to say, is carpeting and vinyl because having when we were talking about these contrast levels having a very strong contrast level between a room and an ensuite uh, can be disorienting for someone as they get older um, particularly if they were let's say going into a pre-dementia stage no reason why you would need to move your home but you might stand at the edge of your carpet looking onto your dark 
um, tiled floor and perceive that as a, as a void, as an abyss, yeah. right? And I, I have been trying for years to get carpet people and vinyl suppliers together to come up with ranges specifically for this group. That's that is our biggest challenge. And what's the barrier from the, the manufacturer's perspective? Is it just a lack of understanding or do they not see a big enough market? I don't think they yet see a big enough market in that, that their sales are doing fine now. So they don't see the need to work with somebody who's in a, either sometimes in a slightly competing market to them in terms of what am I going to put on my floor. Um, uh, and they don't see enough in it to make it worth their while yet. But I keep trying. Every meeting I try. <laughs> But also, then they then they have the opportunity to advertise themselves as being someone who is active in this space. Of so as, as the market sector grows, they become your go-to. It seems it seems not sensible to not do that uh, to uh, me. Absolutely. So, and actually, sometimes yeah. with with the sort of color referencing and things that we were talking about, you know, if you know what the CRIs are, you can match, or you could have you. Could, I mean, it's probably easier to change a carpet color than a tile color. If you've got your tile, you can then get your yep. carpet custom made. So it would be fairly, if you were doing a big development of many of these homes, for example, you know, any of the major carpet mills will weave, so long as you're ordering a, a certain amount, they'll weave to a colour. But also a vinyl floor, because in terms of impact, if you had a fall, um, the, the beginning of the end for many people is breaking, breaking a hip. hip. Mm. And so the, there are some fantastic looking vinyls around. I just put one in my own bathroom. Um, that's a woven vinyl. It looks, um, there are a couple of companies, there's quad, Quadrant, Bolon, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're very smart looking, but they're also inherently non-slip. Um, and in terms of the lifetime home standards, you can go ahead and put a drain in them when you're building the home. Whereas tiles, it becomes that much more expensive. So there are ways of getting around this in terms of existing products, but we still have quite a ways to go. But I think from a lifetime homes perspective, it's, we're not saying that if someone's going to live in a place, perhaps for another 20 years, that they won't make some small changes, changes to their home. Yep. So that there may come a time where they take the tiles out of the bathroom floor and replace it if, they, yes, if they're getting to, to well. a point, you know, everyone redecorates. Yep. And it's a growing market. I mean, we're getting older. The populations are living longer. But it should it should look fantastic. There's yeah. no there's no Why should it not? excuse. Yeah, no, absolutely no. no excuse. I think the, the the word you used earlier was respect. It is simply not respectful not to give people nice places to be. And quite frankly, I wouldn't move to any that didn't look like that, no. and no one else should either. No, and I but I don't think that this generation coming up will accept it in any event. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's why I think it's such an important area for designers to look into, even if you're not necessarily doing a, a retirement community. Do you have a client who's in their 50s? Guess what? They're going to get older. You should be, you should be building this in at the same time as you're doing the design. Yes. There's no reason not to. No. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I wonder whether we could just touch on lifetime neighbourhoods too. They basically say that an environment should be accessible, inclusive, aesthetically pleasing and safe, both in terms of traffic and crime, have a strong identity and a sense of space, um, lots of involvement, strong civic fabric, um, volunteering, informal networks, etc, etc, etc. 
but what is interesting about that description of a, of a lifetime neighbourhood, to me that just looks, that just seems to be a description of what every neighbourhood should be like. It should be, it's a com it is a community and it doesn't ghettoize any aspect of that community based on age or anything else. And it's about creating that um, ability for there to be interaction between people of different ages, for example. So, so going back to the point that you raised right at the beginning about um, your children going to see your mother? My grandmother. Your grandmother in her care Nurse, home, yes. her nursing home. And the fact that just having children in that space for 20 minutes immediately elevated everybody's mood. You know, the staff started smiling. Residents were coming out of their rooms to visit the kids. The kids got excited and started performing. <laughs> it was it was it was a win 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 win. You couldn't stop the winning. Um, I, I'm really sorry I said that because I sound a little bit like Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> apologies to everyone. You sound nothing like Donald Trump. <laughs> like Donald Trump. But but um, uh, it, it's a. It's not about just getting a home. It's about where you're living, what activities even off the premises are there for you, or what does the facility involve that might might engage people so, from outside to come in, such as bars. We've done bars even in nursing homes that weren't retirement homes that people from the outside come in to use the bar. That's fantastic. So going back to the village idea that yep. we've touched on earlier, are they age exclusive? No, they're, they're, they're age exclusive. They shouldn't be age exclusive, no. As opposed to retirement village, um, uh, it, it's, it's more an approach than anything else. A retirement village, there will be an age at which you can purchase. Not until you're 55 or 60 or Correct. 65. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in terms of a, an, an overall uh, lifestyle thing, this is just something that we should be, uh, we should be approaching in general as a, as a community. So how important then is it to site these villages? You know, we were talking about stately, stately homes and you know, extensive grounds and things, to actually site these places adjacent to vibrant, multi-aged communities. I have a concern about that. My personal concern is that it won't work. So there are some places, um, uh, there's a group called, uh, I, I, I'm going back, this is a retirement villages property, where they've actually, built the um, retirement homes on on the top as apartments on top of a whole community that is got all sorts of shops. It's almost like a shopping center in a way, um, except with bowling and movies and, and everything, and the people live above it. So that w every time they go out of their apartment, they're in the middle of interacting with all of life. That's a very interesting model. That works. Citing a community, I I have a fear ghettoizes it. That's my again. issue. Yeah. Um, at, which is why I think we have to be very very careful about that because otherwise it, it is just not going to work in my opinion. From what I from what yeah. I've seen in the people that I interact with regularly. And I suppose it also potentially leaves people stranded because they, they kind of put all their eggs in the, I'm a golfer, I'm going to go to, a, to a, a lifestyle village that has a golf course attached. And then heaven forbid, you know, five, six, seven, eight years down the track, they have that fall, they break the hip and suddenly they can't use that facility anymore and they're stuck. Yep. And then you're back to, do I need to move again? Yeah. So some of these villages actually allow for, if you had a couple of 
people moving in, um, and their needs may differ as they well, yes, age. Yes, and so some of these retirement uh, communities have facilities where on on site you might need additional. Um, physical support or mental support for somebody where you can pull a pull cord or set up additional services to come into your home or go someplace else on the grounds to live. So it, they can be quite flexible and there are a lot of different models for that. It's all sounding fabulous but it's all sounding very expensive. What happens if you just don't have the income to be able to afford to move into one of these places? Uh, do you, are local authorities picking up and moving into this space and providing they are good good alternatives they are um, there's a, a group that works very caref uh, closely with uh, different boroughs in London for example a group called Azra who builds uh, facilities for people that have that might need a little support socially or in in any other way and they're they're not very very expensive um, but be because there are so many properties in the building they're is quite a bit of money to put towards lounges and other facilities that people wouldn't have if they didn't move into that right, facility. Right. So it is starting to break down um, into all all strata of society. Oh, yeah, that's a relief. It, it really is, yeah. and that's why my company, Park Grove, is really keen. We work across the board from from Audley to Azra. It's a supermarket. The the uh, that sounded like a store. It's a supermarket. It's a it's a supermarket for designers to go into because there are so many players uh, in terms of groups working in this um, in this environment because they can get funding from the banks. And in this sort of Brexit uh, or post Brexit period, it's very difficult. A lot of the other sectors have gone have quite quiet up. because yeah. people don't know what's going to happen Absolutely. in the future. But we do know that people are going to get older. Yes, that's a given. One of the certainties of life. Yes. Ta taxes and aging. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>
I'm sure she is. So the interior design business is available from audio on demand services everywhere. And if you enjoy listening to the series, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at IntDesignPod, Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod, and on LinkedIn at the Interior Design Business Podcast. We are brought to you with support from Trade at Houseology. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production.